Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome back to the Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast. The dream has died. Operation Grand Slam is laid to rest for another year. Scotland go down fighting against France at the weekend. But we will be back to take on those Irish and we've got I think it's 10 days till kickoff and the Irish have already kicked off the war of words this Scotland team keeps talking and to keep on talking about Scottish rugby it is of course David Alan and Matt um Matt how you doing fella yeah not not too bad over here I think I've slowly but surely recovered from uh, from defeat at the weekend um and then there's been a few bits flying around on social media today uh, in the context of the Ireland game, that have got me very up for for the for the for the, the next match post the Fallow week. So, got that to look forward to, I suppose. We do. It's nice, it's nice to have a long, long sort of build up into um, Triple Crown week. The you know the the Grand Slam is dead, but long live the Triple Crown. Alan, you hyped about the Triple Crown um, uh, train. I I was pro the first Fallow week, but I I sort of. Not, I don't know how happy I'm about this other down week. I kind of feel like we got back into it, and it's it's almost now like I I would have liked another match this weekend to yeah. go to roll straight into that Irish match would have been quite nice. Um, but no, looking forward to it. Don't like the fact that we've lost to Ireland seven out of seven under Tooney. Yes, don't like that stat. It's the the final week has also given Ireland the chance to bring back like Henshaw, Sexton, Furlong. Gibson Park and Tigburn, which is just <laughs> oh, a lot of really good reinforcements. Yeah. <laughs> People who don't really lose to Scotland as well. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, it's a bit of a pain in the arse. And I don't know if you guys have looked at the weather, but it's meant to be snowing when we're playing Ireland. We're about <laughs> to go back into a real beast of the East. I don't know who that favours more. Probably I nobody. Think, Certainly I not the fans. It, I think it favours Ireland. Yeah, definitely. To be honest. Like, I Snow, think, yeah. Yeah. Um, and also the fact that if we're going to win the Six Nations, we need, we need a bonus, a bonus point, point win. So... Yeah. I struggle to see us in in terrible conditions getting getting four tries, four four mole tri- three mole tries and a scrum pushover for the bonus point. That would, that be, would be fantastic. Quite, that would be quite good. It would be awesome if on the last day they have to do that Premier League thing where they put the Six Nations trophy in like a helicopter, just sort of like hovering across the British Isles about where it's going to go. Somewhere over the Irish Sea. Somewhere <laughs> over the Irish yeah. Sea. Yeah. Yeah. Like where is it? Where is it going to be? Um, well, we will we will talk an awful lot about Ireland later on, um, but first we'll have to look back um, at the events of the weekend. A little bit of news in between. Why the hell not? Uh, just a quick reminder of where you can find us on Twitter at Thistle Rugby Pod. Um, lads, we're closing in on fourteen thousand followers on Twitter. I'm feeling good about that. We're going to get ourselves over the line. There's a big big market for memes out there, and I think we can keep going. Just need. Elon Musk to like hold off purging the bots for like a little bit. Yeah, we do have a. Re- there's a real nice like couple thou like sex bots in there, <laughs> which I'm quite quite enjoying. And then on, on Instagram, thistle uh, stro- underscore rugby underscore pod um, are the two main channels where you can find our nonsense. And our newsletter is on Substack as well, so get yourself up and over there. And we hope that you are still enjoying our Fanzo League. Um, the Pint Predictor League, um, enjoying it. I think my brother is now number one. Got another couple of uh, couple of big wins um, under his belt. Um, so he's absolutely drowning in free Guinness. Number one in the league or in, our, in the Thistle League or number one globally? He's certainly number one in the Thistle League. And then I think, I mean, that corresponds quite a lot with like um, the global. We've got a big chunk of the Fanzo um, player base. So he's certainly he's certainly in a good spot over there. How, how are you guys? I'm 346th in our league, which is pretty, pretty bad. I'm not entirely sure I did mine last week. I mean, I'm not a particularly good spokesperson for this company. Um, yeah, not not doing fantastically well. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not great. I'm I'm bottom third of the Thistle League. I'm 378. Yeah, that, that's, that, that feels like our level. So, no, actually, no, I, I say that my brother is actually second. Callum Robertson leading the charge on uh, on the league. Um, so great to see. Uh, so that's on Fanzo. Get you, you can still join in. Get yourself, if you're already playing, maybe you're not in our league, join it. Thistle. Um, download the app. Predict the scores. Win free pints of Guinness. What is not to like? Um, with two big rounds of the Six Nations still to come. Um, before we get back into Six Nations, there's been domestic news, which is always worth touching upon Mike Blair Edinburgh head coach has decided not to renew his contract or he's stepping down from head coaching Edinburgh at the end of this season Matt it's obviously been a difficult season for Edinburgh this year but the general feeling was that Mike Blair was doing a good job were you surprised by the news when it when it landed yeah it was it it seemed pretty out of the blue and there hadn't been any sort of um, suggestions that he was unhappy in the role or that you know, players had any issues, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Despite what, as you as you say, it's been a difficult season. Um, he's obviously come out and talked about the fact that 
the main reason is that he wants to be more of a, a coach, a, an attacking coach specifically, and he's found the, the demands of like being the, the head coach um, pretty difficult. Um, and and to, to my mind, I, I would be surprised if if the SOU have moved to, um, to to sort of try to replace him, because I think that since he's taken charge, Edinburgh, despite their difficulties this season, have been moving in a generally positive direction. Um, and it seems like the fans are pretty excited about where the club is at the moment. So, yeah, pretty pretty surprising one, to be honest. Alan, take you back a little bit. Yeah, I guess, uh, and uh, it's it, nowhere to go. Is what there's nothing agreed in terms of sort of future position, is there? Not there's certainly not has been announced. And the fact that he's, I don't know, he's kind of going on a lot of podcasts and like touting himself around a little bit. So I don't think he does have a gig. Yeah, it'd be you no know, interesting. Right? Like, I guess <laughs> it's amazing, right? Like six months ago. The, he probably would have had the shortest odds of being the next Scotland coach, right? Or yeah. like, you know, so it's an amazing sort of um, shift in in direction. And yeah, I agreed. I think I felt like he had, even though the season's probably not gone as well as you'd hoped, especially for people like myself that put a bit of money on Edinburgh to, to win the URC this year. <laughs> it felt like there was That's definitely. A tough beat. I know, I know. It definitely felt like there was enough um, that there was enough signs within that team. There was enough sort of credit in the yeah. bank for Mike Blair, both in terms of kind of how they've played, and also I think just how he comes across. I think people are always like find him quite like an intelligent and an interesting sort of um, thinker of the game. So he definitely had a. I think he, you know, even with a bit of the difficulties, there was definitely no signs that he was like under pressure, right? Um, both kind of at the SUU, but also from fans. So I think that's just why it's so surprising, especially with someone like Ben Healy coming in, who you'd imagine Mike Blair was sort of part of that. Yeah. Trying to get him across mm. to Edinburgh versus Glasgow. So, but no, it's um, hopefully he sort of picks some picks something up. Maybe he'll get the French attacking coach job. Do, do you think he'll he'll be lost to the Scottish game for the foreseeable? Because I just I can't. You know, some people are saying, well, maybe he can be the attack coach at Edinburgh, but I'd be surprised if any sort of new head coach coming in wouldn't want a bit of a, a clear out so, and, yeah. and to put their own staff in. And then obviously Glasgow are sorted. I, I, it kind of feels as if, as you said, Alan, before he was maybe a favourite to, to replace Townsend. But now it kind of seems as if Townsend has a decent chance of having his contract extended. Um Slash there's a lot of talk about if he wants it, you know, maybe yeah. some Kiwi coaches, etc. Um, I just can't really see like a place for him within the SOU. Yeah. I suppose his reputation won't have been too diminished, really. He's done a decent job with Edinburgh, some statement wins. Perhaps it's not worked out amazingly well for him this year, but he could go off and get a knob. I don't think he'll struggle for employment, you know, as, a, as an attack coach somewhere. But you're, it's an interesting point as to whether he will be lost in the Scottish game. I reckon probably in the short term, the answer is yes. He talks an awful lot about not enjoying doing the other stuff that comes with being a head coach. Do you think it was just like too many like business mixers at like Galbraith estate agents? And he was just like, this is just, I'm done with this, guys. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> he was like, I cannot, I cannot go to another like business club meeting. He, he'd, had, he'd had too many state dinners at Kylo. He was like, this is just, yeah. <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> It's too, it's too much. He's like, too when much. I took the job, I thought the Kylo steak dinners were going to be unbelievable, but they're terrible. <laughs> I mean, 
it's not something that we should talk we need to talk about in a huge amount of um detail but the other bit of news this week uh, mark bennett re-signing um off the market another plug for galbraith no free ads um he's off the market in edinburgh um staying staying with them for another couple of years matt just a sort of scottish rugby stalwart now still playing very good rugby you know mark bennett hard to hard to not like that bit of business yeah absolutely it's it's interesting that you know maybe a, a year or so ago um if you look back even to the summer tour, like Bennett was sort of <clears throat> back in the Scotland fold. Um, yeah. And there were a few people, probably Alan mainly, saying that Harris should be replaced by Bennett. And now I remember it. Hugh, Hugh Jones is you know, like, he's just, I, I saw he's just voted player of the round by the, in the Six Nations last week. Like now it feels quite, quite far away from that. But um, yeah, it was, it was, I saw he was talking to in his interview about the extension, like he's approaching, 100 caps now for Edinburgh um, after maybe like a bit of a slow start to his career with injury, et cetera, there. But um, I feel like he's been one of Edinburgh's like strongest players by far and senior players now in the last couple of years. So it's a nice, nice bit of business. Yeah, absolutely. Alan, you got anything to add on Benzo? I guess the only thing with him is it, it does feel like he's sort of shifted out of Scotland contention. I, I don't think he's had a great sort of, not a terrible, but potentially not a great sort of three or four months. And, he sort of definitely, you know, if you're looking at the two Scotland team, teams, definitely been Hugh Jones in terms of the 13s that's really stood out in terms of performances. Yeah. Um, and I guess also the other one is I thought potentially he would have, you know, a, an English or French sort of contract in him. Obviously still has scope to, scope to do it. But you always forget that he maybe had that sort of um, time at Clermont when he was like 18, 19 Mm. Which is always oh, like yeah. one of the one of the most sort of random <laughs> kind of transfers is uh, is when Claremont just sort of like picked up I don't know is, is he was he Mar originally Cumnick uh, Cumnick yeah yeah. yeah but he, he was I remember what I randomly watched him in an under maybe 18s game or under 20s game with when Hogg was in the same team um, down in the border somewhere. And he at that age he was he was Scotland's best player. Like Hogg was absolute class, but Bennett was at, at, at least on that day better than him. So I don't know maybe Claremont saw something something in him even at that age. Um, well, I mean that takes us to France, which is a nice jumping off point um, into the Six Nations, which is obviously what we're going to talk about for the rest of the podcast. Scotland going down and losing to France. This Grand Slam dream is over. Matt, is it safe to say that after about 50 minutes, you thought Scotland were gonna, they were gonna do it, they were gonna make the make the grand comeback? Yeah, I I don't know. There was still there's a lot of rugby to be played, but it did feel like the momentum was with Scotland. Um, and it kind of at that stage, I did think at half time, like, yeah, um, France when they got going for their particularly their first try. Like the absolute juggernaut through the pack, quick ball. We weren't really sort of making any dominant hits. And I kind of thought, right, they've got our number here. But then, you know, like the red red card was obviously like a, a stupid bit of play, but it was, it's unlucky in a sense to get a red card. And then the intercept. And I even thought this, the, Scott, um, the second try for France was staying like a bit of an errant boot. It's a bit unlucky. And I actually thought like if you take those moments of sort of poor luck out of it 
Scotland were actually like doing reasonably well. So I kind of had a little bit of hope from from that front. Um, and yeah, when when Scotland won that penalty, kicked it in the second half um, around that sort of 60, 65 minute mark, went up back up the field just after we'd scored again as well. <laughs> yeah, there was there was a big part of me that was thinking, right, we're actually going to do that this. Was- Momentum is so important and it's it's all with us. Yeah, that was the moment. Alan, would you say that that missed line-out throw was the worst Scotland line-out since quarter-final 2015? Or do you think that's giving it too much of a too much of a position on a pedestal? <laughs> I, I, I guess including the context, yes. There's definitely been a lot of terrible line-outs. Know, there's been a lot of bad <laughs> line-outs. Oh, boy. Um, I think well, after we Finn scored that try, there was two moments that we had to sort of execute yeah. and we failed to and one was the Blair Kinghorn having to catch that um up and under and the other one was that um that line out through and you can sort of forgive, you can forgive Kinghorn because it was it was a good up and under and it was under quite a lot of pressure obviously it is a super difficult skill but yeah that that line out and it was quite a, a simple move <laughs> that um and it, it it didn't even look like it was particularly close. I don't know if there was like a miscommunication or or what what exactly happened, but yeah, it's um it was painful and you know to to have sort of ridden out quite a lot of pressure and to have got to that point. I can just imagine also from like an emotional standpoint that must have been a huge blow on the pitch um to sort yeah. of like be, be to kind of get that sort of um to have had to have that sort of wave of pressure to have come out of it sort of come out with sort of five six minutes to go and then for it to be sort of immediately sort of snatched away it just yeah it's it was a painful moment it really was really was i mean speaking speaking of painful moments let's talk talk about it quickly because i don't actually think there's much debate about it but grant gilchrist obviously seeing red very early on um in the game anything to say on the red it was pretty much a straight shoulder to the head um Pretty, pretty textbook case. Yeah, I, I think so. I don't think that there's an argument that he got. Um, it was unlucky given that Matt Ferguson already whacked a launch and yeah. that sort of ricocheted his body, <clears throat> sorry, up into the Gilchrist shoulder. But at the same time, as soon as you are running in full steam without much control and a tucked arm, you know, that's that's the rules now. There's no mitigation. So you sort of like um, take the law into your own hands at that point. And yeah, in this day and age, something like that can happen. And I think he got lucky with the first, in a sense, with his first challenge um, on Geelong, which was pretty much the same. Um, and I, I, w- I wonder if, if someone had, you know, I get it, it's the heat of the battle. It's the right start of the game. You want to make your mark. I wonder if someone had maybe been able to see that on the big big screen and there'd be a chance to get a message on and just say to him, like, you know, if we could channel that just a little bit better. But I don't I don't want to criticise him too much. I think it's, you know, he's not that kind of player. Um, he's been playing so well for Scotland recently. It's just, yeah, a bit of a bit of a rush of blood and quite a lot of bad luck, I think. There was clearly, you know, a view to sort of come out and be really aggressive in defence <laughs> early on and ultimately you know, it, when you start to when you're trying to be that aggressive and that um, abrasive it, there is ultimately you always do run the risk of that type of that incident happen because in a lot of ways it, 
if you want to try and be more aggressive you become less control you, you become less you have less control over your body in a lot of ways right um so clearly especially on that that kickoff you're sort of coming at pace and you're lining up from a little quite a way far up far out and yeah you know ultimately Geelong he was Geelong how do you pronounce it Geelong yeah I think so ultimately just dipped a little bit and that's all it kind of t- took right um but look got more sympathy for him than you do um Hoas Hoas yeah I who's, was gonna ask how we said yeah that. who only got He's only got a four-game ban after this. It's just so seems like He's like, basically, the one thing he's good at at rugby is getting rogue red cards. Uh, yeah, it's like, I don't understand. No mitigation. Like, how can that? It would be interesting to see what kind of ban Gilchrist gets and how it measures up against that. The Gilchrist, when was the Gilchrist um, hearing? It was meant to be on Tuesday, right? I think it was last night. Oh, really? But, yeah, I haven't heard anything... Yeah, I don't think either. And then um, it was the first time a player's got a red card against twice against the same international team. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, it's just like all the jokes before the game. You're like, oh well, at least how who how ass is playing? Like he'll punch Jamie Ritchie, and then he does that. It is really funny. I'd say like... it was one of the best moments of the of the Six Nations for me, though. Like, because at that stage we were what 19 nil down. Yeah. And yeah. you're like, oh my god, we're gonna wear fifty here, like easily. And then yeah. when you see see them going upstairs, you're like, this is unbelievable. And then just to top of that, he's Horace has got he got um like a suspended prison sentence <laughs> like last year for yeah for for robbing tobacco merchants back in the day. <laughs> yeah, I did I did look that up. It was when he was nineteen. Was it? Yeah. How old do you know? Well I, well, I don't know, but I think Older. it was like twenty. I think he's come from a pretty like bad background, and he's sort of like relatively uh, sorted his life out. But Alan, he's... you've got a real nasty streak in you, don't you? Slagging off Mohammed Harris, driving Chris <laughs> Harris out of the Scotland team. Look. Jesus Christ! Well, I was. Mate, I've been I've been calling Grant Gilchrist passive for the last couple of years. Maybe this was his moment. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, <laughs> all that all that pressure is is built up, and he was like, "This time, I'm going to show the world that I am not <laughs> passive." And and look what happened, right? Do you think, Alan? How do you think you'd survive a Hawass haymaker <laughs> or a Hawass <laughs> flying headbutt? Like, I think you, I think you might die. Uh, yeah, I think I'd I probably would. Ta- I would easily take the headbutt over the punch. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I don't know. I don't. I, I'm not sure. I. Ben White sure. sort of walked it off. Yeah, I mean, the it's specific... interesting that he never went for any sort of like HIA or anything like that. Not to go down like the sort of the concussion thing, but you would think that a sort of head-to-head contact that results in a red card, they'd at least maybe have a look. No, I, I, I agreed. Um, and then went on to have a really great game. So you know, again, yeah. Ben, ben White is just great. Yeah, it seems comes across like quite a good la- guy as well, very likable. Um, but no, I thought he was he was very very solid and very on the mark across uh, across the whole match. Should we, should we do a bit of Finn? Another sort of uh, tour de force, full of like lots of little errors and frustrating little turnovers. But ultimately, Matt, when he gets in, when he gets going and he gets the bit between his teeth, he's he's something else, isn't he? 
Yeah, I think it was um it was just a bit of a shame that like not not to focus on the errors, but like it was a bit of a shame that the the error that he made in the intercept to Ramos is probably the only error he's made so far in the tournament that's led mm. to points. And it was just a, a, a critical point in the game. But I actually think overall it was probably his best performance um in the tournament so far, which given the the circumstances, like we we know that he is gonna give it a crack and not retreat into his shell, but you combine like making a few mistakes and then also the the context of the match. It'd be perfectly understandable for him to sort of play the percentages a little bit more, but kept trying things. Um it's it seemed as if like France were actually whenever he got the ball trying to mark him as much as possible but at the same time they're pretty like terrified of him mm. um and the little the break he made where he sort of made the, the 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 sort of inside dummy um I thought was just a sign of that um and it was interesting I think when he was on the BBC um, podcast last week the kind of Finn Russell special he was talking about Townsend had been encouraging him to at the start of each game to sort of carry the ball to, to the line a little bit more um, and sort of go for the half break just to get himself into the game. And I think you could definitely notice that in his performance. So he was actually probably compared to Wales and England, a lot more taking the ball to the line um, and asking even more questions um, of the of the French defence. And I think that in itself just freed up likes of Tupelo to Jones um, and, and the forwards around him to look pretty good in attack, even when we were down to to 14 men mm. um and then i think just on top of that like a few of his you know his assists etc just the things we know he can do but once again like that 50 22 in the first half a lot of his tactical kicking the crossfield kick from like our his own line which wasn't you know didn't lead to a try but led to us being like 60 meters up the pitch it's pretty like consummate but, performance overall i'd say do you, do you think that crossfield kick was a bit rogue <laughs> I appreciate pulling it off, but I mean, yeah, I, I de- definitely like if it doesn't work, it's you know you're I like you're it a bit fucked. It was so good though, like it just like switched the dynamic in that play within like ten seconds. It's yeah, a moment I found kind of interesting was the bit where he almost kind of rounded Dupont, which he sort of has this sort. Uh, you know, he, he does have a bit of pace and actually quite good balance in terms of being able to sort of round him. And he clearly thought he was sort of past. And then there's just no worse feeling than than feeling that sort that of tap, tap on the foot. Um, and then clearly that sort of we went through sort of a period of a bit of panic kind of post that because he obviously tried to sort of throw throw off the offload to, to do him. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, ultimately there's always going to be a couple of issues when it comes to, to Finn. But I think, you know, broadly his performances I'd say across the three matches have just sort of steadily improved and he's definitely the standout 10 in the in the Six Nations this season the, the Times did a big piece on it as well like asking is Finn Russell the best fly half in the world which I think is I don't know a bit of a a, a mad question at the moment, but I think in the context of the Six Nations stats wise around like possession uh, t- territory in the kicking game yeah assists breaks etc like it's it's not just the flash things it's it's borne out in the overall stats that he is i think at the moment by by far the standout 10 in the, in the tournament i i don't think this is is really his fault but 
I guess, why do we think we sort of struggled to get the back three involved? You know, Jones and Tupelo, too, yeah. both were pretty strong. But that sort of French kind of blitz defence kind of coming out to him, we sort of struggled to get a lot of ball out to Duhan, Stain and, and Hoggy out in those outside channels, um, which I think is probably more of a, you know, saying the French defence worked well rather than, you know, Scotland was poor in attack, right? I, I kind of got the sense right from the start that Duhan in particular was like a really marked man. And he always is to an extent, but I suppose like Wales, um, like marking him that closely is completely different to, to France doing it because they have the the physicality to, to deal with him. Um, and, I, you know, he's he's maybe the kind of player that unless the game is coming to him, he's not like the kind of guy that's going to make so many chances for himself. Um, and it's kind of the same with Stain, I think, although he wouldn't have been as marked as Duhan. I think they identified him as a bit of a danger man and managed to keep the ball away from him pretty well, it seemed. So, yeah, that's kind of a look at, I suppose, Finn and the the backs and our attacking stats with a little bit of Hugh and Hugh Pilotu mentioned as well. But obviously the, the pre-match running was all about, you know, how Scotland could live in the physical battle. We had the 6-2 bench and everything like that. Now, Gilchrist going off within the first 10 minutes was never perfect for sort of setting up that battle. But Alan, how did how did Scotland sort of pack front up against that sort of like French juggernaut? Yeah, I, I guess firstly, actually, when, when Gilchrist went off, I was like, thank God we've done a 6-2. <laughs> yeah, so, that's true. Because um, I feel like it, good that we'd have those sort of extra reinforcements sort of coming off the bench. And actually, you know, with the number of sort of French forwards that were going down injured... Again, that sort of fed into to your point when we had sort of 30 minutes left. I was like, it feels like Scotland are in a great position, obviously just momentum-wise, but also for the fact that we've probably got a lot more sort of fit forwards on the pitch or forwards who have only played for sort of 10, 10, 15 minutes. I think Broadley did pretty well. I think there there is still a thing, and it's France, Ireland and South Africa where there's sort of this, this key issue is when those three teams start doing one out runners or running off 10 and get a little bit of momentum and get some quick ball we really really struggle to stop it and you know that first try for France was just a very clear example of where it was a little bit too easy for them just to kind of keep popping off and just continuously get those one or two meters with quick ball and our pack was just struggling to kind of kill that momentum or win or kind of get ultimately sort of push the back in the contact. And, and that that's always sort of my fear, especially as we sort of lean into this Irish match is do we have the pack that can, that can face up to just those big hard runners of nine and 10. And I think there was quite a lot of times where France, when they did get their act together and kind of got the ball and kind of built up some phases they're still able to kind of make just those one or two yards every single time. It's just a little bit too easy. Yeah, and it was it was interesting, like, with Hamish Watson coming back in, that he just didn't get a chance to show what he could do in terms of slowing that ball down. Um, but it, it was funny. I felt like we know how France, how good France were, or France are, over the ball in defence. But I think Scotland actually did a really good job of combating that and I think the there's some stats around how many turnovers we gave away to France last year 
um compared to to this year and it was it was night and day um so it's it's interesting that like and, and i get it they're two different skills but it, it's interesting that we were, we were able to sort of get get ahead of france when it came to when we had the ball it was just when as you say when the france like steamroller started moving there was nothing we could do to to slow it down because ultimately what they're doing is is really simple but it's executed extremely well and it's, it's was really really effective um but i think after that bit i think we did a pretty good job of of making life difficult um there were a few line out issues obviously but I think we we're pretty competitive there. And aside from maybe like one or two scrums in the first half, uh, ironically at key periods, um, particularly when the 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 BAM squad of of Nell etc came on, we actually had the the upper hand in the scrum. So I think there are a few sort of positive signs that can be taken into a sort of similar contest against Ireland. Do you, why do you think we sort of struggled? I guess it feels like we've probably been a little bit sort of second best at the breakdown across actually all three of the matches you know even if you look at the first match against Wales I guess why do you think we're sort of struggling to gain traction at the break at breakdown in defence? Yeah it's a good good question because you you look across the the back rows that have played and even someone like Matt Ferguson you think would be able to chip in with a few few turnovers and I think on top of that like our our defence has been genuinely really good um Maybe maybe it was just maybe it's something to do with the amount of like dominant tackles that are that we've been going in. I feel like at times we're kind of happy to soak up pressure. And I wouldn't say that passive tackles going in, but we're maybe not sort of winning that initial contact. But um, yeah, beyond that, it's it's hard to say. I don't I don't know if you know having Crosby in there maybe I think he made a good good impression, but he wasn't quite able to get that Jacqueline game going. Um, and it seems as if Richie's sort of been focusing on just other, like the nuts and bolts of the, of the game beyond that. We're just not passing. So was that the, was that in reference to the pass to Duhan? Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> oh. Yeah. That was really, really gutting. Yeah. And there's quite, a, quite a few moments. It's, there's a few, it was annoying that, you know, probably the, the biggest positive from, the Wales and England game was just how clinical Scotland were in the red zone yeah. and we just felt like we had a lot of and ultimately we, we did put away some chances but there was just a lot of times that we just struggled to to convert just a lot of possession especially in that sort of that kind of first 25 minutes of the second half you know we probably could have chalked up points a little a yeah. little quicker mm. um and we sort of struggled with struggle with a bit and you know that Richie to do hand pass the the Xander sort of yeah. like drop it was a scrum where it kind of felt like Finn kind of went down the short side it probably felt like the wrong decision just a lot of moments like that where we weren't quite choosing or executing well enough there was also I think it was just after the Hawass red card that we went to the corner and we lost the line out yeah. And then later on in the game, when we'd managed to fight back, and I think we were maybe eight or nine points down, line out on the French 22, and we went for like a kind of complicated. But to, to be fair to Scotland, our the the lineup moves you've done so far in this tournament, they've gone over the top, 
have been executed really well. But Richie tried to bat it back to Duhan, who dropped it. And then another point, we I think we managed to recover from that, had a promising attack. And Tupelotu sort of gave this pass to Jones that probably wasn't on. Which, yeah, that, those are like five or six chances that yeah. were pretty critical on the day, arguably. Yeah, it was pretty gutting. Um, as you say, left an awful lot out, out onto the field. Do you want to talk, do you want to look forward to Ireland a little bit? I know we're still 10 days out, but there's still a little bit of that, little bit of chatter we can do on that. Well, let's have a look at Ireland yeah. then. I mean, obviously you touched upon it there, Alan, when, when you were talking about the challenge faced by the French pack and the physicality. Ireland, if anything, looking sort of more dominant in that area, particularly knowing we're going to have to replace Gilchrist. What, what do you reckon? Do you, uh, let's actually start there. Gilchrist is the one sort of nailed on change that we're definitely going to have to make. Scott Cummings come in for you. He's playing for Glasgow this weekend, or would you flip in a Sam Skinner? What's your What's your move? I, th- I thought Johnny Gray looked pretty great off the bench. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think the Gray brothers. Yeah, going back, Gray brothers in the row. It's um, no, I, I thought he had a pretty strong performance actually when he when he came off, and ultimately, uh, you know, unless you know Scott Cummings kind of you know blows Zebra off the park it it feels like Johnny Gray's probably got that sort of sewn up yeah um, and I wonder if they go for another 6-2 split so you you then just bring Cummings sort of off the bench and, and have I mean I quite like the idea of Cummings Skinner and, and Dempsey all sort of coming on with about mm. 25 minutes to go Matt you buying that you buying that off the shelf yeah I, th- I think so it's it's it feels as if we've actually been pretty lucky with injuries and suspensions this tournament because yeah. normally about this stage like we've got one or two injuries and we're having to call up like someone from Stad Niswa or something or like All Glory so <laughs> like to have I don't know to, even with Gilchrist out like the guy the names you just mentioned you'd be pretty happy with with all of them coming in I think Anything so starting really yeah um someone Did was cherry play at Stad Niswa am I making that up yeah, he did. He did. He did. Yeah, he did. Fair play to him. Fair play to him. Fair play to Dave. Cheers. Yeah. Um, Down there. The real, the real question is, where does Haining come into in the back row? That's true, actually. Yeah. What, who are we dropping for Nick Haining? Maybe, maybe Haining does a shift in the row. They're just like, come on, lads. <laughs> like, you, we know you, you can pull this out of the, the fire. You can do it. Um, I saw someone tweeted today. Um, it was yesterday saying that the last time we beat Ireland was in 2018 and Richard Gray was playing. So, you know, read, read into that what you will. Was that, Mar- that, was Mar- that was the year we beat Ireland and Wales at Murrayfield? Yeah, yeah. Great do, times. Do you think if Darge gets through 60-70 versus Zebra, you, you bring him in in the back, back row, try and disrupt Ireland at the breakdown? Yeah, what, in it's, place it's, it's of Watson. Watson. So a straight a straight swap for Watson. Yeah. Watson, Watson gets like twelve minutes in the tournament. I I can't see that happening. Me neither. Yeah, oh, I don't know. I just just can't get that France game at home out of, yeah, <laughs> out of my so mind. And I just again I fear I fear if we don't manage to slow down and kind of get at the Irish ruck 
there's just going to be moments where we're just getting battered and battered and, and, and we're not going to be able to kind of deal with it. And, you know, ultimately it's not the be all and end all, but I just wonder whether having someone like Darge is just like a, a great weapon to have against that island pack. It's a big ball, step up. The, the, the Timbul has not really been ruled out. I suppose Hugh Jones was a bit of a punchy selection. Um, but... I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Like, you have one game against Zebra. It's hard to really assess, like, how well he's playing. Um, but then at the same time, it feels as if Watson's form that recently hasn't been that great either. So maybe you're not actually making that that big of a gamble by, by swapping them out. Yeah, I mean, I think the gamble is more like a fitness thing, really. I, th- I think mm. quality-wise, I think Darge has shown enough over the last sort of year or so that he's at as good a level as Watson is like right now. Right. Um, yeah. And I just wonder if, yeah, you know, I wonder if the the risk is, is, is low enough to sort of put him in just given the qualities that, that he does possess. Right. I'm here for it. Yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready for it. I'd like to see him. And then I any think other, any other we, changes that you'd, you'd be looking for? I mean, you could drop Richie. I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just, throw, just throwing out there. But <laughs> 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 well, it feels like Fagerson in the back three is is, is now the, the only one. It's like yeah. the most nailed on from like a yeah. performance standpoint, right? That's true. I do. I, I do. Richie's having that. a decent tournament though. Like I think you, you're looking yeah. to make a change there though. It's not one that you're thinking that needs to happen, right? Or is this just being contrarian again, on? <laughs> I also think his captaincy has been, it's hard to tell exactly from the outside, but I think it's been pretty good. And I actually think having him as captain rather than some of like the nominally bigger players in the team Mm. seems so far to be working reasonably well. So I I don't know if they want to disrupt that. No, I agree. I am happy with it. But I, I, you know, there has been a bit of, I have spoken to a few people who, there is the question mark around would Richie's place be be questioned if he wasn't captain, which I think is a fair is a fair shout. Yeah. Yeah. And Anything in the, the back line? Yeah. Probably nothing. Ben White is sick. Can't see but it. Ben White is, is da- so good. Darcy isn't back yet. No. He's not gonna be. Don't think he's gonna be. Yeah. Um. Finn's Finn, Hugh Pilotu's Hugh Pilotu. Doohan's Doohan, Hoggy's Hoggy. Carl's not a lot, really not a lot of room. Yeah. yeah. Not a lot. Not a lot of room there. I was I was thinking about the other day, if, like a year ago, if you if you'd said to us that Scotland are going to be going into the Six Nations, but you're not going to be able to start Price, Redpath, Harris. Darcy yeah. Graham, you'd be like, it's getting a bit, it's getting a bit rough. I mean, a year ago, Tua Pilotti was <laughs> still like, as well. Tua Pilotti yeah. was still not really catching fire at Glasgow a year ago. No, no, mm. not at all. No. Um, I remember when we leaked the Scotland team. Was it South Africa before the autumn last year? And the SRU rang us up to tell us off. That was because Tua Pilotti was playing at twelve, and no one could believe it. Was that his first cap? Might have been. Yeah, I think it was actually. I think he then subsequently got injured, and Matt did Matt Scott play that game? 
Was that the game Matt Scott yeah, came back and played? No, I think that's a good shot because I actually think two. Pl- yeah, no, I think I think that is correct. Um, but look, he's. I mean, he. He's great. He really is great, and yeah, it's he's just sort of continued, just just a sort of extremely sort of consistent <laughs> run of form. Yeah. And yeah, just has that sort of blend of. I mean, ultimately, he would be horrible to tackle, but can do all sort of the, the finer things right as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah, is there, like is there ahead of, Yeah, ahead of this game, is there a team that you would, like, is this, is this the team you would most like to be at the moment, Ireland? Yeah. Some, some of the stuff recently, this, the thing on Twitter today, I was like, I hate Ireland. I want to be there. <laughs> I was. I got to that point. I was like, I've had enough of this. We, fair enough. They've, you know, their record against us is, you know, you can't it's can't say anything about it. Unimpeachable. But, exactly. But, but is it you just inevitably come to hate people who win a lot, or is there something well, no, specific because, about yeah, Ireland? We've never beaten New Zealand, and I'm like, yeah, cool. Those guys like. <laughs> play quite class rugby and just get on with it like they don't i don't know it's i think the new zealand know. thing is like you know that don draper meme and he's just like he's like i don't think about you at all like i don't think like <laughs> yeah. new zealand are just like we don't need to say anything about scotland because like we don't well care. yeah yeah i think what <laughs> get, goes me about ireland is that it's just like that could have been us, man. If we'd like just sort of done professionalism slightly differently over like the last twenty years, like this sort of comparable size and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, yeah. Gr- growing growing up when we were like, you know, first getting into to Scottish rugby, yeah, like, be, being Ireland was fairly commonplace, right? Before like a yeah. came along, for sure, yeah. And then as the paths have just like diverged like so much of like the last fifteen years. And I think it's just that feeling you know, we talk about quite a lot is it just feels like those Irish players just don't quite respect Scotland. And that yeah. includes both the national team and Edinburgh Glasgow. Like just they know how to beat Scotland and they they find it broadly quite easy to beat Scotland. There is a playbook that they can roll out. And we'll sort of stay in the fight for like 40, 50 minutes. But they always manage to sort of land the knockout blow. Yeah. Um, and even people like Rob Carney, right, and, and whatnot, have, have even like said that in the press, right? It's like yeah. they they just know know how to beat Scotland. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it would be great. I think I appreciate in the moment, probably Ireland. I still think I would choose New Zealand. It'd be good to just get that first win. <laughs> there was one team we could beat just then once. There's basically like nobody we haven't beaten, right? Yeah. We will have beaten that. We've completed the set, which would be nice. But tri- what do you I reckon? Mean, I've got we, it up in front we, of me. If we beat them triple crown, that would just be. I fucking love a triple crown. Ugh. Open top buster for a triple crown? What's the What's the <laughs> ruling? No. No. <laughs> I, think I reckon be, Edinburgh City how, Council, how, they'll clear Princes Street for a triple crown. How much I, of a laughing stock would we that's be in the UK <laughs> if we had an open... Like, that's like when people have, like, bus tours for, like, the Carabao Cup. It's like, guys, just just put just put it away. Just put up a couple of Instagram posts. We move on. <laughs> um, 
I think win Six Nations, even if it's not a Grand Slam, that gets an open bus. Do we get an open bus? No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you reckon the bookies are saying? I've got it open in front of me. How many favourites or not favourites do you think Ireland are? P- plus nine points. Yeah, as I say, plus eight. It's seven. It's a little bit tighter. The one score. I think what is that that uh, they've beaten us seven times and they've never lost to us by more than like one score. Sorry, they've never beaten us by less than more than one score. Less than more than one score. Yeah, I've not done well with that. <laughs> Basically, every time they've beaten us, they've beaten us by more than seven points. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it's not been close. I think is the point that I'm trying to get to. Yeah, in a roundabout way. I think it's probably it's it's relatively fair. Uh, and I think yeah, that the weather situation I think is a worry. Because... I think I've got it wrong, so it's 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 due to snow in Edinburgh next Saturday. Now obviously this is like what are we? We're like yeah, we're like ten days out, so it's pretty difficult to like to really judge it. But it's saying snow next Saturday. And then bright and cold next Sunday, but you only need like a little bit of variance there. That could be a could be a wintry wintry day. But at home on a Sunday afternoon, yeah, sort of putting sort of any sort of bonus points or like the league table, yeah, to the side. I I, I think Scotland have got a pretty good chance, you know. Yeah, like yeah. it's. Is, again, we always sort of say this, you know, as long as we don't fall behind, this is one thing we said about the France game, like if we fall behind and we're sort of chasing our tail, uh, you know, and, and to be fair, we did a very good job of getting back in the mix, but even more so for Ireland, like if we end up like more than a score behind and we're having to chase it even more than and yeah. play even more than Finn would naturally want to, that's where I just think we're going to be going to start to get into, get into a lot of trouble. It's, um, I think it's definitely one of those games where it's like, Let's just take any points that are an offer. Let's just build up a score where where we can. Um, but no, I think if we if that pack can see it a lot, if that pack get parity, then I think backline matchups. I think arguably just a tad stronger than Ireland overall. Mac, Mac, Mac Hansen picking up a man of the match last week after we bagged him as well. I know. I see. He lives it. I, we've got a lot of power out there. <laughs> he's definitely, as you said the, the other day, he's definitely scoring against us. hundred oh, percent. Yeah, I, I, I agree, Alan. I, just, I think that if we're going to do it, like this is as good a chance as we've got, as we've had for for a while. Um, that we're we're playing well. I think with a little bit more luck and probably a little bit better execution. We, we could have been closer to France if not beaten them. Um, I, I think that although although Ireland will, you know, they'll be confident of beating us, I'm sure, because they're just their system is just so good, and they'll be confident of just like bashing out their their like attacks and their their plays, etc. But I still I think they will be a little bit apprehensive about what Finn in particular can can do because I think he's shown that even if his pack is not getting supremacy he's he's gonna cause any defense issues yeah to get Duhan, let's get Duhan running like straight <laughs> at sexton and at mac hansen yeah and maybe like maybe like peter romani that would make me really happy 
one one last thought experiment before we call it a day on the pod has anything that we've seen so far in the six nations changed your opinion that scotland have got no chance of getting out their group at the world cup really good question (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) i i think it makes me feel marginally I think there's a in terms of chances of beating South Africa, I feel have marginally improved in my eyes, and I still think that's the match that if we're going to we get win. through, yeah. that we can win. Um, so I'd say marginally better. Okay. Yeah, agreed. Still don't think yeah. we get through. I'll take that. I think that that back. I I think mainly just because that ten, twelve, thirteen, just. I just love the look of it. It seems to be working really well together. I think it's got like a really nice balance. Actually, the whole and which I don't think we quite had looking back at that autumn. Just incredible to look back at the autumn and think that Tooney didn't pick Finn in the squad. <laughs> like, what what the fuck yeah, but, was going on? But yeah, but look how good he is now. Like he is turns in is vindicated entirely in his selection choice. That's certainly one way to spin it. <laughs> That's how Dawson's incredible. been here. Incredible start. One, one other question then for us. Have we missed out on the best chance of Scotland winning a Grand Slam? Looking both kind of backwards <laughs> and forwards. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know whether we're going to get a better chance. I, given I the, given was a, think, given the I profile was play that, we have. Yeah, I was thinking that at the weekend, particularly in the context of what are we going to do when Finn's gone? Like, I, I think you could be... I hope you're I not think next, I think the profile of next year's Six Nations is a better gla- Grand Slam road to Mordor, Alan. So, away, <laughs> to, away to Wales. Wales are still going to be shit by next February, right? Yeah. Then at home to France. We need to knock them over, obviously, but... At home, that's all right. And then we've got England coming at the next the next round as well. So that's a back-to-back homes against France and England. Then Italy away, lovely. It's a tough finish, actually, to go to Dublin to get the Grand Slam. <laughs> Just, yeah. I, I, the, I mean, the Black, yeah. the Black Gate, the Battle of the Black Gate was never going to be easy. And that's where we've got to go to. Um, <laughs> that's what we've got to do in um, Dublin. It's true. Winning the Grand Slam in Dublin. Oh, my God. would be great. <laughs> you just look at, and I know it's obviously it's the, the nature of the Six Nations. The fixtures never change, but winning all five of those games at any given time is really fucking difficult. <laughs> no, it's... Like, imagine yeah. anyone winning a Grand Slam. Like, every single one of them, apart from Italy, obviously, but they're getting good now. Like, that's so hard to do. But then remember, like, Wales have won, like, four in 20 <laughs> years. Yeah, recently. <laughs> <laughs> it's so painful. It's Chardonnay. I'm quite enjoying their little like meltdown now. I'm like you guys deserve this. This is what you. This is like penance for like 20 years of success, right? Yeah. Well, you've got to feel for those guys that are on 20 on quarter of a million quid at the moment, being like, "Sorry, guys, best I can offer you is 30 grand for next year." I, I actually think it's yeah. It's got to a point now where I'm like, it's. I mean, it is still like object, objectively so funny. It's objectively funny. But it's also like, oh, it's gone. Yeah, it's gone way yeah, too far no. now. We all still want them to lose to Italy but... though next week. Oh yes. Oh yes. I saw a thing. I saw a thing today that I don't think it's going to happen. But 
if they lose by more than 16 points to Italy, then they go below Georgia in the world rankings. How good would that be? That's amazing. Yeah, they'd be like 13th or something like that. Not Maybe not 13th, but it is low. Something like They're that. 10th at the moment, aren't they? Something like yeah. that. I think it was rugby pass, and I think they delivered that news in the form of a meme as well. So I was like, I'm in. <laughs> Must be true. And then um, the, the other piece of news is World Rugby have said that they're going to do the draw for the Rugby World Cup closer to the 2027 one than they did for the 2023 one. That's because oh, Wales, Wales, <laughs> Wales are going to be like 13th in the world and like basically have like an absolute cakewalk to the quarterfinals. I know. It's, uh, yeah. It's, it's like the top, straight. it's like four of the top five teams in the world. Now, granted, we are one of those at the moment are all on like the same side of the draw. Yeah, it's just like stupid. <laughs> I just can't believe we've got to try and get out of a group with Ireland and South Africa, and the prizes, <laughs> the match against France and New Zealand, it's just <laughs> fucking horrific. Um, oh dear. Well, there's plenty of that we can talk about in the months, uh, weeks and months to come on that. But we will be back next week, very specifically to preview Scotland versus Ireland, the Triple Crown decider, the Open Top Bus Tour decider we're very excited about it uh so we'll be back next week to do that thanks very much for joining us thanks for sticking with us we know we are an unreliable set of boyfriends that gaslight you into thinking that you're getting podcasts and then sort of uh disappear for a wee bit we promise we do try as hard as we can um so please do stick with us on twitter at thistle rugby pod on instagram thistle underscore rugby underscore pod and sign up for those elusive newsletters on Substack, Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast. And we will chat to you very soon. Thanks a lot. Stop. There we go. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. 
Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.